This is the Kingdom at Hand podcast, and I am Pastor Joe Faldet. All of our sermons are archived on our website, www.hosannafreelutheran.com. We also have started a YouTube channel, and that is Hosanna Free Lutheran. And you can check out the videos there. You can also come visit us in person. We have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings during the school year. We also have worship at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings during the summertime. May God bless you through this. Uh, Ephesians 5, 28-33, and I read in Jesus' name. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let us pray. Father, as I come to this daunting task of preaching this paragraph, Lord, I ask that you would bless and that you would work that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth might be pleasing to you, Father, and that you would use this to change us, to make us more like Christ. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that it is. Lord, we ask this and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so, this is completing, or not, well, it's not completing, as in this is finished. We're finishing up this paragraph. And this is the third installment on this paragraph. The first paragraph, we, or the first sermon, we spent time looking at what love means. Uh, what is love? What does it mean for husbands to love their wives? Uh, what is it, you know, to cherish, to hold as, as that which is of the utmost value? Uh, and then last week, we talked about how that love works out, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and, and what that means, and and how we are then. So the first one is what it means to love. The second one was how do we love? And now we're looking at the purpose of that love. What's the greater good that's coming out of it? Because we focused in so much on our wives. Are there any effects that move out beyond our wives? Then husbands, if you love your wives, are there any effects beyond your wife? Uh, and so with that... We start. Love your wives as your bodies. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, I've had lots of discussions in my own mind about this passage, and I've argued about it to myself. I actually haven't ever argued about it uh, with someone else. Um, but I argue with myself all the time as to what in the world this means. And then Nathaniel was kind enough to bring up Something about Greek culture. And did you, how many of you have seen Greek statues? You know, a couple of them. 
And this is one. This is uh, Hercules. And you can see the lion there. And I, I cut it off because we don't need to be seeing anything below his belt line. Um, and the Greeks had this obsession with the male form. And not just the human body, but specifically the male form. And, and they had some really weird like ideas as to the difference between men and women. They, there was some groups of Greeks that actually believed that women were underformed men. And so women were the underformed men, and men then were the pinnacle because they were the properly formed human being. And if you, I know, it's kind of strange. I'm getting a lot of weird looks. Like, Really? That's what, they, that's what some of them thought. It, don't argue with me about that. You talk to, well, you can't talk to them. Um, but they, they had this fascination with the body as being the pinnacle of all of the forms that exist within this world. And if you look at Greek temples and Greek architecture, you'll start to see, you really have to study it, but you'll start to see patterns in that. And these patterns are known as ratios. And these ratios that the Greeks used were based upon the human form, such as eight to one, because the head is about eight, you know, and so if you take the body and you cut it into eight uh, measurements, that'd be about the size of your head. You know, there's a little bit of give and take there. You got the, the cubit is actually, there's a ratio there. You've got, and the Greeks, I don't, I don't know all of them. I read a book about it. And a lot of it just blew right past me. Um, if you ever want to read the book, it's kind of interesting, but I can't remember all of it. But these ratios were based upon the human form, based upon specifically the male form. And when the, they thought about the masculine form, that was the highest, that was the greatest, that was the pinnacle, that was the most valuable measurement system that we've ever been given, is the way the Greeks approached that. And so when Paul says here, Husbands, love your wives as you love your own bodies. He's saying, husbands, love your wives as being the greatest thing that you have that's been given to humanity. And so it's not, husbands, treat your wives as you treat your own bodies. Because, well, (laughs) it's bigger than that. And this is why Paul says, and nourishes and cherishes it, because the Greek ideal then was the male form. And so the men were called upon to treat their bodies well. To consider themselves as being the most valuable things. Their bodies as being the most valuable things that they've been given. And so therefore, husbands, love your wives as you love your own body. Husbands, love your wives as the most valuable thing you have. As the, most, as the greatest thing in creation. This is how you're to treat your wives. And once I realized that, after a, just a passing comment from Nathaniel and started studying that, and it's like, wow, this passage makes way more sense because Paul is taking that Greek culture that existed in Ephesus, and he is actually moving it to try to bring these Ephesians into a proper biblical concept. Because women weren't an underformed men. They were actually the pinnacle of God's creation. And so Paul is using this as an analogy to try to bring the Ephesians over. And it's, sorry, that, that gets me, it's just wild what Paul's doing here. But this is what that means. So husbands, love your wives as your own bodies, as the most valuable thing you have. 
And he uses this word here, should. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And when I think of the word should, now you guys might not, but when I think of the word should, I think of something that I have an option to do. And, you know, this is the better option, but you can choose these other options too. You know, I was talking to the um, Rod's Repair about, Rod at Rod's Repair about, you know, buying a minivan because our family is outgrowing our car. And he, I asked him, so what do you think about, you know, what sort of minivan should we get? And he goes, Toyota, just flat out, you should get a Toyota. You know, the, the Chrysler, and he talked a little bit about the Chryslers, and then he talked about the Toyotas. He goes, you know, Chrysler's okay, but you should get a Toyota. Well, what's he saying? You have the option, but this is the better option, right? That's how we think of should in America in 2019. That's not what this word means. This word that Paul gives us here, and I I didn't write it down, so I don't know what it is in the Greek right offhand, but this word is actually the word obligated. Is there a difference between should and obligated? Husbands, you are obligated to love your wives as you love your own bodies. You are obligated to love your wives as the greatest gift you've been given. And now you might be sitting there thinking, I didn't know I signed up for that. (laughs) You did. I just performed a wedding yesterday. We talked a little bit about this, um, more so when we were doing counseling. But in the... In the marriage ceremony, when you are giving those vows, you are signing up for this. You are entering into this covenant that God has created between husbands and wives. And just because we don't know the fine details of it, doesn't mean that we have the right to say, you know, I like this part, but I don't like the part that I didn't know about. No. This is a moral obligation, men, that we have as we've been married. Since we've been married, this is the obligation that God has given us. We are to love our wives as the most valuable thing we've been given. This is our ought. This is our obligation. This is what we are called to do. If I'm not doing this, I am actively living in sin. That's what that means. So I don't have, this isn't a should. This isn't, you know, you can, it would be better if you did, but you don't really have to. This is a, You have a moral obligation towards this end. And when you're not doing this, you need to repent and confess your sin to God. Because that's what's going on here. I don't have the right to to treat my wife like dirt. I don't have the right to make her walk three steps behind me because she's worse than me. Or in places with minefields ten feet in front of me. You know, that actually happens in some cultures. I don't have the right to do that. She's my wife. I have an obligation to treat her as I treat my own body. That's big. This is my calling. But there's a promise in this calling too. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Nope, I just read past it. And so, as he does his own body. Or verse 28, there we are. He who loves his wife loves himself. What does that mean? You ever thought about that? He who loves his wife 
loves himself. So if I am treating my wife poorly, I'm hurting myself. If I'm treating my wife well, I'm treating myself well. Because we are one. And so we are on the same team. And so, you know, growing up, I was, I was in track. And track's not really a team sport, at least, you know, where I was from. Because we weren't good enough. And so, you know, each individual hoped to maybe get somewhere. But knowing that the whole track team never would. So that was an individual sport. But I played football. And in football... Would it have benefited my team at all had I tripped the guy next to me because I was mad at him on my team? You know, I was a lineman. What if I, and I was a center, what if I had tripped the right guard? Would that have been a good thing? Well, I'm mad at him, and so I'm going to trip him. That's going to hurt the whole team. So what is Paul saying here? You're united. You're one. So if you're hurting your wife, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting what God has made one. You're damaging that. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken, but you know what? Given enough work, it will break. And so if I'm damaging my wife, I'm damaging my relationship. And not only am I damaging my relationship, I am negating any good that I'm going to get out of that relationship. And so I'm actually hurting myself in this too. So I'm hurting myself in that I'm hurting the one that I'm one with. Did I say that? The one that I'm one with? Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm hurting that one. I'm hurting the team that we're on. And then I'm hurting any potential good that I'm going to get out of that. And so the man who loves his wife, the man who holds his wife as being the most valuable thing he has. This is the way that we are to treat our wives. The man who holds his wife as the most valuable thing he has, as the most cherished item in the world to him. If he holds his wife like that, that's going to bless him. That's going to come back because all of the times that you interact with your wives then, that's going to bless you. So you have a moral obligation to do this and you have a logical obligation to do this because why would you cut off your nose in order to spite your face? Right? That's what this means. So if you're treating your wife poorly, stop it. A, you're sinning against God. B, you're sinning against your wife. C, you're sinning against yourself. I don't see any good in that. Is there any positive for that? No. So he who loves his wife loves himself. Like remotes here. Four. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And so this passage then, my, my interaction with my wife becomes a revelation into this world of what Christ does towards his church. Because I am hoping, <laughs> I am hoping that my wife experiences this on a more immediate fashion. Because sometimes, I don't, I don't see this going on in the church. Sometimes. Actually, to a remarkable—I really shouldn't say that because to a remarkable amount, I do. I see Christ nourishing and cherishing His church all the time. You know, as as people talk about reading their Bibles and um, listening to sermons and listening to music and how how Christ is speaking to them at those times, it's just amazing for me to see people's lives growing deeper in the Lord. And and so, how do we how do we think about that? Christ does this. He's actively doing that. And so if you stop and say, you know, he's not doing that in my life. 
what's the problem then? Is the problem that Jesus doesn't want to, or is the problem that you're not receiving it? Because if all of this stuff has been given to you, and you, receive, you refuse to receive it, is, it, is the problem on the side of the giver or the receiver? Because this is what Christ does to his church. This is how Christ interacts with us. This is why Christ gives us his word. This is why Christ gives us the church. This is why we have things like Beam Alive and The Overcomer and you know these Christian movies that are coming out. Why do these things even exist? It's because God wants to bless the people that are members of his body. He doesn't want us to wither away. Which one of you wants your body to wither away? You know, granted, there's a lot of us that would like to have less of our bodies, but, you know, that's the negative parts of our bodies. We want the good parts to grow and to mature and to become stronger and better and to become more efficient and more effective. And that's what Christ wants. That's what He wants for us. This is what He's working towards. He is nourishing and cherishing His church. This is what He's doing. This is His desire. This is His goal. Because we are all members of his body. And I'll tell you what, that is, that is an amazing truth. I'm not just some add-on to the church of God. You know, I'm, I'm not some prosthetic, for lack of a better term, or an annoyance that Christ is putting up with. You guys might feel that way about me sometimes. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm a member of Christ's body. And so he's going to interact with me like I interact with my own hand. This is how he sees me. He sees me as something that, that needs encouragement and upbuilding and, and strengthening and protecting. He sees me in this manner. He claims me in this manner. And he claims you in this manner too. And so when we deny Christ, when we cut ourselves off from him, because we know that he's not cutting himself off from us. That's an, that's an act of our will, not of his will. And so if I cut myself off from Christ, that's on me. Because who of you would want to cut off your own hand? Nobody that I know of. Nobody. Okay, granted, there is a very small percentage of people who have a psychological condition where they do stuff like that. But, you know, that's a psychological condition. Condition. Christ doesn't have that. Christ wants us to be better, stronger, more equipped members of his body. He wants this for us, and he claims us as his members, and he says, I'm going to nourish and cherish you because you are that, because we have been made one with him. We are united to Christ. And that's an amazing thing. And so in the Ecclesi or not Ecclesiastes, in the um, Ezekiel passage, when Jesus talks about, well, yeah, he talks through Ezekiel. The Lord God speaks this out. So that's Christ speaking this out through the Holy Spirit. And, uh, the difficulties of, you know, um, breathing God, inspiring the word of God. But, as that happened through Ezekiel, he says, I am going to do that. How does he do that? What are we? We are Christ's body, right? And so how does Christ find the lost sheep? How does Christ find the lost coin? 
How does Christ bring this stuff about? It's through us. Because we are his body. He is our head. And so he is doing this through us. How do we work in this world? How do I swing a hammer? It's the, my mind is telling my arm to swing it. To hit that nail instead of that nail or this nail. That's my mind doing it. I am doing it, but my hand is doing it. That doesn't mean it's not Christ. Just because I'm doing the work of Christ doesn't mean it's not Christ. He is empowering me. He is calling me. and He's calling you to do this stuff. To bring his word into this world that those lost sheep might come to know him. Because we are one flesh with Christ. And you are going to do this with the gifts that God has given you. And so that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that Bruce is necessarily called to be a foreign evangelist. You know, to, to study Creole and go down to Haiti. Or whatever. It doesn't mean that Ken is called to be a public speaker. It might be something you could think about though. But it doesn't mean that's what you're given. What gifts do you have? You know, I would never use my foot to hold a hammer to pound a nail. Wouldn't do it. Why? Because that's not what it's gifted in. And so what gifts do you have? You have been made one flesh with God. What gifts has God given you? These gifts that God has given you, I know the purpose of them, and I can declare that to you right now. And that's to share the glory of God. It's to share the gospel into this world, however he has gifted you and wherever he has placed you. I know that. Because of the passages that we read today in our scripture readings. I know that because that's what Christ is up to. I know that because that's what Christ wants to do. And if you're one member with Christ, that means he wants to use you to that end. Isn't that crazy? You are his members. I am his member. Therefore, I am the means by which these things happen. It's not me doing it. Praise God, Lisa. It's not going to be you. God is going to be working through you into this world. Isn't that wild? And so you can have boldness knowing that God is going to use your mouth and your running. God can use running. Isn't that weird? Crazy. I never would have thought it. (laughs) So this is what it means for us to be one with Christ. This is why it's so important for me to love my wife. Because as I love my wife, I begin to understand this is how Christ treats me. And so then as Christ treats me this way, I start to understand my purpose in this world. I start to see that. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Our final point. Finally. This is a big deal. Paul says this mystery is profound. And so I hope you guys have gotten a little bit of a taste of how profound this mystery really is. You know, when when God says this back in Genesis 3, 2, Genesis 2, the end of Genesis 2. He says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. That's really what all of this has been based on. That one passage. And then Paul says, this mystery is profound. First off, a mystery is something that is 
hidden that wouldn't have ever been known had it not been brought out into the open by an act of the will. And so that's the Greek, this Greek word for mystery. And so God is saying, you guys never would have understood this had it not been revealed through the working of the Holy Spirit in the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul heard this, read that passage, then the Holy Spirit spoke through him and said, this is what it means. And I, I just would have loved to have been in the mind of Paul when that happened because as I've been studying the words of Paul, it's like, this is, this is big and I understand that I don't see all of it because profound means deep. It means it affects lots of layers. So I was sitting there uh, Friday, early Friday morning thinking about all of the ways that, all of the places that this truth applies. Um, and so it applies to the Trinity. It applies to Christ and the church. It applies to the pastor and the congregation. It applies to the husband and the wife. It, replies, it applies to my reason and my emotion. It applies to an authority and their subject. And I was just randomly reading a, a church father. I was reading something and they quoted a church father. And the church father said, this is also speaking about the Christian and the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit now acts as our helper. And Eve was created to be a helper for Adam. And so now the Holy Spirit is stepping into this on behalf of the Christian that this is now the Holy Spirit is helping us along so that we can fulfill our job. What is our job? Our job is to be the subject of Christ. He is our authority. And so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven levels in which this truth applies and teaches us how we're supposed to interact with this world. (laughs) And within that... There are sub-levels, too. And so I, I had to bring this, grab this out of my backpack. I was going to put it up on the slideshow, but I didn't have time. Um, so we'll just pick the husbands and the wives. And so it's this, um, the two shall become one flesh. A man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So that teaches us, then, how to interact with our emotions, our finances, and even in our physical lives. But if you look at the emotional life, that teaches us how to interact with our anger, our sadness, our fear, our satisfaction. If we look at anger, it teaches us how, Kirsten, how we interact with Kirsten's anger, my anger, our children's anger. Um, we'll just pick my anger. So it teaches me how to interact with, teaches us how to interact with my anger towards my physical, my ethical, my financial aspects of our lives. Because we bring in the two, the two to become one. And so anger exists when we have a disparity between that. And so we've got what we've wanted, what we desire, and then what's real. And so if we look at the physical, um, I'm just going to make this up. We'll say that Kirsten wants me to have 4% body fat. That'd be pretty low. It'd be like Herschel Walker low. Um, maybe I should raise that up. But we'll just leave it at 4% because then we got nice numbers. Um, she wants me to have 4% body fat, and I've got... But I've got 40. And so what's going on here? Uh, Kirsten's standard then becomes my, there's, Kirsten's standard is here, but I'm hitting here. And that creates anger because I, I'm not making the standard by which she's set. So the two shall become one flesh. We're going to leave our father and our mother and the two shall become one flesh. How does that teach me to deal with my anger, to deal with the, the discrepancy between reality and desire? Well, that means that we explore where those things come from. Father and our mother. 
Where do these desires come from? Explore that and say, okay, we're going to leave that behind and now we're going to unite this and make it into something that's reasonable. So is it reasonable for Kirsten to expect me to have 4% body fat? No. No. (laughs) Nor is it reasonable for me to have 40% body fat. And so then we have to work through that via communication. We bring those things together to a place where we can say, this is what's good. Bring the two disparate things into one. Maybe Kirsten wanted me to have 4% body fat because her dad had 4% body fat. No. (laughs) But, you know, maybe that was her standard because that's what she saw there. That was the parent. And maybe I had 40% body fat because, you know, I like chocolate cake. And I do. But, you know, and that's the parent there. And so we have to leave those things behind. Leave behind those reasonings. Leave behind those old things and make something new. Create something new. And so how do I deal with my anger as a couple? At her desire to have, you know, me be whatever. Through communication, we argue this out and we create a new standard. Does that make sense? And so you think about that. And as I was thinking about this, it finally just overloaded my mind. I I couldn't handle all the variables that were bouncing around in there, and so I wrote it down. But this is how we communicate at at the familial level. But this is how then I communicate with Christ, too. But there... Christ's standard is calling me to rise up to that. And he's the one that actually lowers and he says, I'll forgive you when you fall. And so he calls me to rise up to that. This is how Christ interacts with the Father. This is how the Holy Spirit interacts with us. You know, there's a lot of application here that will go throughout all of our lives and touch all of our lives as Christ makes something new in us. And so when Paul says this is profound, This is profound. This is deep. This affects every aspect of our lives. We can take this and say, this is how we interact with all of these things. And so when I'm in an argument with Kirsten, which never happens because she's usually right anyways. um, (laughs) This is our goal. To come to that conclusion. To make the two one. So apply this. This applies in all aspects of your life. And since it applies in all aspects of your life, it's important that you get it right in the blatant aspects. Wives, see that you respect your husbands. Hold them high as the authority in your lives. Listen to them before you listen to your father or your mother. Listen to them before you listen to Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or or Dr. Whoever's on TV. Hear that. Hold them high in respect because there's, I think, to some degree, everybody is looking for evidence of their own worth. Um, And it's, it's interesting that I've talked to a number of people about this in the last few weeks. I think almost everybody is looking, and I say almost because I don't know the hearts of everybody. I actually don't know the hearts of hardly anybody. But I start to see these patterns. People are looking for a visible way to confirm their own worth. And if a wife is disrespecting her husband, she's actually telling her husband, you're not worthy of respect. And that says, you're not worthy to a man. 
And so when Paul finishes his up here and says, wives, see that you respect your husbands. This is a foundational level upon which you then build how you live the rest of your life. If you're not looking at your husband in respect, now are all husbands respectable? No. That's not the point. Can I withhold respect from someone who's respectable? I have that capability, right? Do you know what that means? That means I have the capability to give respect to someone I don't respect. Because I'm in control of my respect. Well, they've got to earn it. No, I've got to give it. We want them to be respectable. Men, I want you to be respectable. That's why we've gone through this with such fine detail. But nevertheless, wives, even when your husbands aren't acting in a respectable manner, treat them with respect. Because that's what God is calling you to do. Husbands, see that you love your wives. Even when your wives aren't lovable. Because the same thing applies. I can withhold love from my wife. I can withhold love from my kids. I can withhold love from anybody that I want. I have the capability to do that. And that means that I have the capability to give love wherever I want. It might take more work. It's easier to love a lovable person. But just because something's easier doesn't mean that the harder thing is wrong. And so husbands, love your wives, even when you don't feel like it. It's an act of the will. Do it. This is what God is calling you to. Because if you miss that, when you mess that up, you're messing up all of these other areas that this is symbolic of, that this is echoing in. And then you don't, if, you, if I'm not loving my wife, I don't understand how Christ loves me. Because you know what? I'm not lovable a lot of times. Right, Kirsten? Don't say that. No. I'm not. But Christ loves me even when I'm not lovable. It's an act of the will. I'm going to look at her in this manner. Even when I've got evidence to the contrary, I'm going to focus on what I want to focus on. I'm going to cultivate that. Do you know what it means to cultivate something, right? It means to remove those things you don't want, i.e. weeds, in order to encourage those things you do want to grow. That's what we do when you cultivate things. And so when I'm having those unloving feelings for my wife, God calls me to cultivate love, remove those unloving feelings so that those loving feelings that are there can grow and mature and blossom and become more and spread. So wives, see that you respect your husbands because this mystery is profound. It's going to affect all of other aspects of your life. See that you respect your husbands. Cultivate respect towards your husbands. Husbands, cultivate love towards your wives because this mystery is profound and it's going to affect all aspects of your life. Does that make sense? This is how important this is. This isn't just a should. This is an ought. This is an obligation. This is what I'm called to do. When I fail in this, I am failing and I need to repent. And ask for forgiveness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the inspiration of it. Lord, I thank you for Paul and what he saw and what he gave to us. Lord, and, and how we can take that and, and continue to apply it. Father, bless us. Father, we need your blessing.
We need your grace. We need your power. We need your wisdom. Lord, how do we apply these things in our lives? How do we make them ours so that we might glorify you better? (laughs) Help us. It's so big. Lord, we thank you for these obvious steps. May we be faithful in those so that we be faith- may we be faithful in the big things and in the little things, Lord. May we be faithful. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.